sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's your girl, Abad. You already know. So... You know, this week is kind of a special episode. Basically, I invited a guest because I had all of these like ideas and notions about this individual um, and their life. And, and not just me, I think all of Toronto, Canada, kind of. So there's this incredible couple in Toronto that gives lots and lots of sadaqah. And when I mean lots and lots of sadaqah, I don't mean $5, $10. I'm talking about like 20 k 40k and plus you know like dj cal splashing that money everywhere and they were muslim and i kind of invited uh one of the members of that like uh, one of the members i invited the wife the reason why i want to interview shazina is because first of all yes she was like known for being an entrepreneur having a business but i also heard good things that she was also half in the quran she was a mother of multiple children mashallah tabarakallah um, and a wife to a successful, also business entrepreneur. I haven't met Shazina, but I've heard such great things about her. And so I was so excited and so honored that she came to join us on this podcast and tell her story. So, yeah, I'm going to stop talking, but the story is good and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Um, and I took so much away from it. So here's the story. All right. So I was born and raised in Toronto. I grew up in Sri Lanka for a little bit. I went to elementary school, middle school and high school all here. And I wasn't really practicing growing up at all. And I I had to make dua for Islam. I had to make dua to find Islam, to find Allah, to find the way that I live right now. Um, 
I, I think growing up uh, with my parents, yes, they were Muslim and everything, but it was very cultural. Um, we we prayed, we sometimes wore hijab, but there was no explanation as to why you had to do what you had to do. Um, and for me, that was very important when I started to grow up. Like I started to question the things that I did. I didn't want to just follow it for the sake of my family following it. So I remember crying, actually making dua to Allah to just guide me because I was confused. Like how old were you when you made that dua? Like what? I think I was, uh, I think I was like sixteen, fifteen ish, right? And that's when I started to like uh, really question the people that I was around, the things that w- they were doing, and I was like, realizing that this isn't for me, and I didn't want to be a part of that path uh, or that walk of life as well. And so, I think that's when I started to like really, just like analyze myself as well, like have a lot of self self reflection. Um, and I made that dua. I remember to asking to Allah, just like a convert would, I guess, like, you know, Allah guide me. Because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really know um, what I'm doing. I don't know if it's correct. And then very shortly after that, I met a sister from Facebook who told me about Al-Huda. So you're probably wondering what Al-Huda is. So Al-Huda is this, this incredible program for women um, to learn tafsir, Quran, recitation, to learn hadith, all you can name it. A program where women teach women about their religion. What makes Al-Huda so incredible and different from any madrasa or duksi or any like, you know, uh, Quranic school is that they really vocalize the importance of having women to learn their religion so they may become teachers and teach others and call others to the religion. And and, and it, the cool thing too, it, was, it wasn't like segregated where like mothers are here and young women are here and children are, like it was like you couldn't if you were in the classroom you couldn't tell who was a mother and who was single who was married and who was it's like everybody was just seeking knowledge and it's and, and it's inspiring because you know you might go to Duxi just to learn the quran and there's no like what happens next but the constantly reminds you what happens next like you always you're always in this perpetual state of knowing that you're here for a short time but the real work starts after and so it's like this period of you just go in in your zone and um, learn everything that you can and learn it well and 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 practice it firstly, and then secondly, help you uh, help those in need. The program itself is rigorous uh, because it's it's full time. Um, you're you're memorizing like seven pages a day, like word to word, right? What does this w- word mean? Um, but it's also a very beautiful struggle because you're finally being able to understand the word of Allah. All these years you're reading the Quran, but you don't know what it means. And so when you finally begin to understand the Quran, it's uh, it's a beautiful feeling. I remember my first tarawih after I finished Al-Huda. I remember I started to cry in Surah Al-Fatiha. It's like I, years, like so many years I'm reading Surah Al-Fatiha. I don't know what it says. And the imam just started to read, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. And I was in tears. Usually people get in tears when they're talking about Jahannam and stuff like that or Jannah. I was in tears just from the get-go. I was like, I can finally understand the Quran. I don't need a translation. Right. And and your salah is so much sweeter because you're you're understanding what Allah is saying to you. You know, when you wear glasses, you're kind of blind. Right. So you can't see without it. But when you put your glasses on, you completely you see everything so differently. Um, and that's that's what studying the Quran did to me. It changed my life. It gave me a purpose as to who I am. Um, and it helped me a lot in, in different ways in my life, even my relationship with my parents, my my husband, my kids. It transforms the way you behave with other people. Right, the Quran does that because it gives you it gives you a, a reason, um, and, and it teaches you behavior and mannerisms. 
I did other for one month, okay? Oh yeah. And because I had to, I had to, I had to go back, I had to go back to school quickly and finish. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't do al Huda with university. And I remember the the thirty days that I spent al Huda, thirty days. What I learned was tadabur. It's to reflect on everything. Like I would, I would be looking at the tree, mm-hmm. and I'd be thinking, Subhanallah. Look how Allah created yeah. the tree, <laughs> literally, and, and that and that's the etiquette of Huda. Huda is all about reflection. You now you have the fam, you understand, yeah. um, and now let's 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 do the practical like um, the analysis. The analysis yeah. What is it saying? And what does it mean? Yeah. And how do you co- practically inv- like put that into your life? And your li- and so every day yeah. I was walking around looking at trees, sis, yeah, and yeah. sunset. I became a sunset chaser. Yeah, every ukti is a sunset chaser, and now I know why, right? Because. <laughs> You're looking at the, the, the ni'm of Allah. You're looking at the beauty and you're thinking, oh my, look how beautiful this is. Imagine how beautiful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Mm. And that's the kind of like thinking you're doing. And so it's interesting because Al-Huda teaches you a new way of thinking yeah. after you've gotten the understanding. And like, so I'm not surprised that like it, 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 it could inspire such a difference because that's what it was teaching. You know, like that's their goal. Yeah. I remember my teacher. So, uh, our, our, my teacher at that time was uh, Sister Timia Zabir. She's famous mm-hmm. now, probably. She's a, she is so famous. <laughs> yeah, she used to Mashallah. she used to breastfeed her daughter mm-hmm. um, under her hijab, and it was so discreet. She would just put the baby under, latch her on, and keep teaching us as oh if it was nothing. God. Just hold the baby in one hand and like you know hold her and continue to iPad teach. or whatever it was, and keep going. And that was uh, many years later when I had my own kids. I'm like, she did it. Yeah. You can do it too. Hold that baby and keep taking yeah. notes. Hold that baby and keep memorizing Quran. All right? Do yeah. it. Because yeah. you have this precedence. You see these sisters before you that did it. Right? And, and it's possible. It's, it's possible. possible. It's hard, but it's possible. It's hard. It's not easy because you're not like, you're not, you're, you have this baby that you're holding, holding. and you're still trying to like study at the same time. Shazina finished al and she finally started university. That's when she met, or not met, but ran into her old crush. Um, I met ha- my husband in preschool. Like I said, we were both three years old at that time. <laughs> and who knew, uh, <laughs> you know, we'd see each other again many, many years later. Wow. So you met your husband when you were in... In the sandbox. <laughs> in, the, in the sandbox. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's crazy. I think that's like the, the cliche rom-com. Everybody wants to meet their husband in a sandbox. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. I think over around like uh, 14, he was in the same soccer club as my cousin. And that's when I had a crush on him. Um, and... He he also had a crush on me, but like nothing came ever nothing ever came out of it. We just we just like oh you know we liked each other or whatever, and we were in high school at that time, so just like grade nine and um like I said nothing came out of it. We just moved on. And I started practicing. I completely forgot about this brother, and then for some reason he still remembered me. Wow. Um, and that's why I was like, I don't want to marry this dude. I know him. I know him. Like, he knows me. Like He knows me when I was, like... Not practicing. Not practicing. That's embarrassing. Because yeah. <laughs> you literally change as, a, like, a yeah, complete a complete different person. Mm-hmm. And you just don't want to... You don't want to be reminded of who you were. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you want to move past that. A fairy tale. Oh, yeah. You know, you... A boy girl... A boy girl... Uh, wait, girl, uh, girl meets boy. You know? Boy chases girl. Girl likes it. Girl gets married. In reality, that wasn't the case for this couple. Boy and girl meets in the sandbox, okay? <laughs> and you think it goes well here, and then obviously she just she goes through a transformative change, but girl didn't want to meet boy because boy reminded her of her old life. And who wants to marry a guy that saw you with one tooth? Let's be real. <laughs> I definitely do not want to see a guy with the, you know, looking real rough. I, I would say he worked really hard to get a yes from me. But the moment I think I would, like I said, uh, the moment when I when I knew probably was... He did a really sweet thing, subhanAllah. He wrote the entire Surah Baqarah out for me by his hand. 
No. With his hand. No. Um, yeah. He used to go to, he used to work security shifts at that time. And like during his breaks and whatever, he would just write out the entire surah for me. And surah Bukhara is huge. It's like Sister, 60 wait, pages wait, wait. long. The, I want all the listeners to know, raise your standards right now. Right now. For sure. Raise if your standards. Because if, if he, he really wants you, he's going to work for you. And, you know. And if he's not writing surah Bukhara by hand, he ain't it, sis. <laughs> He wrote it out. He dropped it off at my house, and Incredible. I was like, "Okay, this this man really cares about no, me." No, he does. And I, yeah. Um. So I, a little by little, I would a little by little, I said I would say that something Allah put something in my heart for him. And so when when his parents and his family and everyone came for the second time, my father was like, "What's your answer?" And I was like, "I want to marry him." I had a hard time trusting him for a long time, to be honest. Uh, I had to learn how to trust this person. I think that comes like stems from my own like trust issues, and. Uh, it even took me a long time to love him, because when you when you marry someone as a, as a Muslim person, you you're not always in love with that person, right? Um, sometimes it, it's like that for people, but for me in my situation it wasn't. For him it was. For my husband it was. From day one he was like, "I love you." For me, I wanted to make sure that I actually loved him before I said it. I didn't want the words to just uh, be said and I didn't mean it. So it took me a couple of months to actually say I love you and mean it. So everyone has this like this idea about what you know love is supposed to look like what that person is supposed to feel like um and I, i'm here to break it to you and i'm breaking it to you from a rom-com you know i'm not an ex-rom-com i'm still very much a rom-com person but just a uh, I, I would say a hopeful a hopeful romantic or a hopeful love whatever but the reality is is that i don't think movies or these these stories that we you know grown to love and appreciate about love and marriage and romance doesn't allow us to also explore the idea of building and nourishing a relationship that if you don't feel love and connection at first then it's impossible to build love and connection which is completely wrong and completely false right sometimes it takes a little longer for people to feel that and that's absolutely okay right as long as they have the, um the 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 desire to build on that, it can be it, it can be just as climatic, <laughs> climatic, and just as fulfilling as it looks on those rom com films. Love, real love comes after marriage. I I hundred percent agree that real love, real love, like as Whitney Houston says, it real love comes after marriage, um, and the love before is just one that's kind of like on the surface, um, one that can kind of you know fade away and disappear but the real love it, it, it real love is it's about compromise it means about work um and again this is all of me taking the notes of my married friends because again i'm not married so this is what they tell me um <laughs> not to act like i'm a you know professional here but what i hear is that real love feels a lot like compromise and hard work and dedication and putting in the time and the effort real love is love that's built not love is just felt like being able to be vulnerable in front of him and share things, you know, things from like my childhood and, and whatnot. So that was that wasn't easy for me to be able to let someone into my heart because I would always protect my heart. That was very important to me to be able to like even if I got other proposals, alhamdulillah, I got, you know, a lot, whatever. But I wanted to I would never let someone completely inside because I didn't want the, I didn't want heartbreak for myself, um, someone who didn't deserve my heart. So I would constantly put up these barriers, but then when it came to like, okay, now I'm married to this man, I gotta, I gotta let myself down a little bit, right? Put put this gate down a little bit. So to let him inside, basically, allow him to love me and allow me to love him. 
I remember my father was uh, very much in love with him, and he was uh, he didn't pressure me or anything like that, but he uh, he saw something in him. Yeah. And I I think I mentioned this earlier, but he was like 18 when he proposed, and he was very young. He was like, looking back, we were both like teenagers. Yeah. I mean, we were teenagers, right? <laughs> yeah. My father my father saw something in him, and uh, and then within a year or so, we were married. Alhamdulillah. But Alhamdulillah. Yeah. They didn't make it difficult for you guys. They made it really easy. Who? Your parents. You yeah, to get they, married. they did. They supported us financially mm-hmm. as well, and uh, they they made it. They made it very easy for us to do it in the halal way. And I think that was a, a, a very good thing that they did for us. Yeah. Because a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of, like, I think these days, especially, it's like for brothers, it's kind of hard because it's like very. you got to have a certain amount in the bank before yeah, you get married. Yeah. You got to be popping in these Yeah. Streets. You got to have a certain Yeah. Savings. You got to be able to pay the apartment, the hall, yeah. the the everything. And it just, it's difficult for people, for yeah. youth to get married. Yeah. You know what and I mean? It is, it is a difficult thing, but I think there's also beauty in struggling together and growing together. Mm. Right? I, I've heard so much people always say that. Like, there's two types of women women that say, I'm really, I'm ready to grow with, a, grow with somebody. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's women that say I'm not building no money. <laughs> I'm not struggling on no mattress. Yeah. You know, so there's women that are, and I guess there's nothing wrong with it. Depends on really preference, but uh, yeah. there's so much beauty in people that uh, that grow together. Because my parents are like that. Yeah. Because our parents are like they came here struggling, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so they have that kind of loyalty, and I don't think loyalty just comes naturally. I think it comes from real like sacrifice and compromise and mm-hmm. being in the gutter together yeah, yeah you know what i mean yeah. and, and then coming out it on the other side yeah so for a couple of years we lived in my dad's uh my my parents house in the basement mm-hmm. and uh that's where we had our first child <laughs> our second child and we have kids since. oh mashallah <laughs> so you had your, your your two kids my two kids in the basement and i was also in i mean when i say in the basement i mean we were living <laughs> with my parents <laughs> it was like those nice homes that have like a fully furnished basement right uh, well, yeah, he kind of built it. My dad built it for us. Um, kind of uh, yeah, He's a, like a handyman. So not only did your dad get married early and yeah. young, but he also built the home in there for Basically, you guys. Basically, yeah. Allah, Allah bless your father, yeah. honestly. He I sounds mean, like an incredible I mean, dad. Yeah. And uh, so I think it was in my uh, last year of university that I had my daughter. And I was like, I got to finish. <laughs> I can't come back here with a baby. Oh, my God. So I finished. And then... Um, was it hard, like, um, being a wife and having kids in university? Because uh, I know you went to, you didn't even go to any university. You went to U of T. I did go to U of T. And U of T, and I don't know, I don't know anybody that knows U of T, but it's like our Ivy League university yeah. in Canada. Yeah. And it also is completely very white. It is. And very um, white supremacy vibes. And very not so, no safer, <laughs> you know, people that look like us. Yeah. And so, and I know that's not easy. So, because I went to U of T. You did, yeah. I hated it. Did you wear naqab at that time? No, I didn't. And I wore jilbab and mm-hmm. I, I pay, like, I didn't pay for it, but... People didn't make my life easy wearing naqab. And I For felt sure. I dealt with DA's biases and stuff like that. Yeah, so there like, is a, I, I know you experienced that. So tell me about like what it was like beginning married young, going to university, a U of T out of all schools. Mm. And then and then and then having children in those terms. Like you had children in yeah. that semester that I don't think you stopped either, right? No. For me, I think it was about like I, I have to get it done because my parents were, especially my mother, she was keen on me finishing my studies. Yes, you can get married, but you still got to have your own thing going on. Mm. And I, I think that was important for me as well, just being like uh, coming from a family of girls and also being the eldest. And like, I got to have my own thing. I Yes, alhamdulillah, my husband provides for me, but I want to be able to stand my own if I need to. That's when I started to memorize the Quran too. Because um, I was like, okay, I understand it now. Let's mm-hmm. let's put it into the heart. Let's mm-hmm. keep it there. All right. So yeah. I started memorizing. I didn't finish uh, while I was in university, um, and I started having children. Like I said, uh, but I, for me, I didn't want to have. Uh, I didn't want my children to be a deterrent for me from memorizing the Quran. So I would memorize the Quran while 
I had all my kids. I remember I, was, I remember having a, a revision class and being in labor. We, wow. I still remember it was like the second years of Bakara, and I was in labor. You but I didn't labor. say anything to my teacher. I was in labor. I, it was early labor, alhamdulillah, so it was doable. But I remember having wait, wait, you the were contractions. In Quran, no, you were in Quran class. I was in my revision class, yeah, at that time for, uh, like I said, it was And you're in years. active labor. Yeah, it was early labor. It was yeah. early labor, so it's, it kind of feels like cramps. Cramps, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I remember uh, having my contractions and still, like, reciting. Oh, my God. And, and you were feeling contracted and you're still reciting. I'm still, I'm still getting through it. Incredible. I think that uh, for that labor, yeah. that, that specific labor, it was... It was, uh, and whenever anyone asked me, it was like it was a breeze, and I feel like it was because of the Quran, yeah, because I was, uh, I was constantly engaged in that Quran throughout that that specific child's labor, and even now that child she loves the Quran. So it was like her her aqiqa that I read my last. Uh, I invited my stada over, and she's like, okay, we'll do it then. Uh, we'll just read your last page then in Surah Fatir, and she's like, okay, recite. Oh my and God! At her aqiqa. At her aqiqa that yeah. is so intense. First of all, so you're celebrating her, yeah. and then your mom is there, they're casually saying, hey, do you want to finish the last few lines? <laughs> yeah, sure. Was it like that? Or? Yeah, it was. Uh, she she wanted my mother to be there and my, my mother-in-law because they were monumental in my, my being able to finish the Quran because they helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. They would hold my baby, for example, like when, when it was time for me to recite. They, they helped me a lot, my mother-in-law and my mother, alhamdulillah. May Allah bless them both. Mm-hmm. And my husband as well. They... It, I feel like it was a team effort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you know, you as, as if you're memorizing Quran, you're spending a lot of hours with the Book of Allah, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you need to go to your teacher to be tested in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were both present, and it was it was a very beautiful day. Allah yeah. And so you finished. So tell me how that feeling. Describe that feeling of finishing. It like was, what that meant to you. It's uh, it's it's a it's a, it's a sad. Uh, for me, it was sad because you're never gonna memorize a new page ever again. Right, that's the last page you'll ever. It's the last new page you're gonna hear. Yes, you might be able to do qira'a in like a different form of recitation, but it's the last new page you'll ever do. Um, I feel emotional thinking about it now, but uh, the subhanallah, the tissues there. <laughs> what did I, did I not tell you, Shazina? So the interesting part is that I told Shazina. By the way, Jonathan left a water bottle and tissue there. She's she's looking at me like I'm not gonna cry. And now look at her. What did I tell you? Anyways, the tissue was there. <laughs> So um, um, tell me, like, describe it for me, yeah. inshallah, because I want I want you to explain your your personal reflection on that. Yeah. Um. So it was Surah Fatir, and I read it, finished, and I start. I could barely finish the page. I started crying, um, and uh, my saw that she made du'a for me, and I made sujood to Allah subhanahu wa taala to make the Quran and the evidence for me, a proof, a hujjah for me, and not against me on the day of judgment. Because a lot of people memorize the Quran and it's um, the same ayahs that they're reading, they're going against it, right? And I, I'm fearful that I, I, I might be one of those people, right? So I made dua that Allah doesn't make me one of them. And also that I can benefit myself and my family and other sisters as well with the Quran. Because what's the point of keeping it to yourself? you got to share it with everybody, yeah? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. It, it's actually a responsibility mm-hmm. that when you learn it and you know something that you have to share it. I remember that was one of the... That's the for my 30 day al that I also learned that. Yeah. That whatever khair Even you Even if know, it's like a small yeah, thing, though, we go to the masjid, talk to some sisters, you know, mm-hmm. give a halaqa. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, in whatever capacity that you can spread. Spread it. Spread, spread the al. Naam. So, 
So tell me about this. Is this is the part that my favorite part is the mm. part, the part that because I know you mentioned that you and your husband didn't have much, mm. right? You guys mm. were a young couple that got married at eighteen, yeah, right. And then you had children early, really early, back yeah. to back. Yeah. Um, and alhamdulillah, you had parents that were bo- both parents, his probably his parents and your parents supporting you guys, mm. however they can, however they could. Yeah. And then. How the hell did you guys get to where you guys are now? <laughs> but in, in well, a sense, what do you that, mean like, by get to where we are right and now? And I'll tell you why, because the entire Toronto, Canada, thinks you guys are like multimillionaires. And second of all, um, <laughs> they also rumor has it, okay? And I never told you this, Shazina. There was a conversation that you and your husband had. Okay. And uh, and obviously we don't know word for word, but it was like this. This is how your story was romanticized, okay? Okay. Um, you and your husband had a conversation. And then you guys somehow, you know, engulfed all this amount of wealth, like as if you guys found it. Engulfed, like, yeah, like you just you, drug you, a treasure. You, like you found a treasure somewhere and oh. you instantly became um, uh, wealthy. And your husband looked at you and you looked at him lovingly. And then he said to you, <laughs> <laughs> and then he said to you, and then you said, to, like, he, um, you said to him, what, what are we going to do? Like, type of thing, like what's, what's next? And he says, how about we start building our home in Jenna? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's I kid you not. That's exactly rem- what was said to me. And I said, build my home in general. Who are these people? <laughs> okay, um, Basically insinuating that, like, let's not use the wealth that we're, we've mm. been so fortunate to have mm. and use it to give in charity. And that was, like, the the prelude of that, like, in a beautiful endeavor. Because remember, like, the entire, like, you guys give, and I know you guys give in private, and I know you guys give, obviously, publicly, right? Mm. Um, and I can only imagine the amount of wealth you guys give pu- uh, uh, privately, but publicly, obviously, you've, you've gained attraction because you guys are not dropping no $5 <laughs> or $10. Right. You guys are not not even dropping 2000 <laughs> yeah. Sometimes 10000 yeah. 20000 Sometimes you and your husband are saying, well, match it, yeah. which is like, basically any number that comes right? right and so it's incredible so and 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 to, and to find out that it's a young couple right that's like not that's let my, me put like, those rumors yeah, to rest yeah, put, the, put the rumors to con- I, I put the rumors to context um and i hope they're true to be honest <laughs> i'm hoping they're true they're not so inshallah <laughs> go ahead yeah um so we we struggled like everyone else i i i, I think um yeah we lived paycheck to paycheck and uh we don't have a million dollars. <laughs> I've never seen a million dollars <laughs> because we can't. Mm-hmm. We could. Mm-hmm. We could be millionaires if we wanted to, mm-hmm. but we can't because we send it away. SubhanAllah. And um, we, I, I, I remember one time we had two little babies and he would get his paycheck and he couldn't go to the masjid and the masjid was like, well, they were collecting money for Syria. And it was like seven thousand dollars at that time. I think it was five or seven thousand dollars. That's all we had. That's literally all we had. And your savings? Yeah, my savings. And uh, and he's like, okay, they're collecting this money. Um, what should we do? And I'm like, okay, give it, right? And that it's hard for me to to do that because I'm like, what about my own kids? What about myself? Like, this is all I have. I'm not trying to starve. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> and so we would give everything that we had oh. away. And it's it was like that then, it's like that today. I, I, I feel like because we started to give even when it was difficult for us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept multiplying that wealth. I don't know how, but every year, every couple of years or every year, we would have a new business adventure. Venture. Mm-hmm. Um, so entrepreneurship came to us like that. Mm-hmm. Whether it was like, you know, uh, opening the Abaya store, his mm-hmm. Amazon business that he does. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the reason why these things are even continuing today is because what's for Allah lasts. And it's not a bad thing to have money because the upper hand is better than the lower hand, right? But it's also 
you're the upper hand but you're supposed to give with that upper hand right mm-hmm. this concept of like generational wealth like collecting for yourself and yeah. your kids right having savings for them who knows what your kids will do with that money yeah. right but if you send it if you uh, give charity where you give a sadaqah for it at least it's guaranteed it's going in a good way and wow. it, it's it's not easy to to uh to have that tawakkil on Allah that Allah will take care of me and my kids yeah the same way that he took care of Abu Bakr when he gave all of his wealth in Tabuk. Right? And of course, that was in a, an, an emergency situation. But even after that, Abu Bakr was never no, known as poor. Mm-hmm. Right? He was still that rich, wealthy Sahabi. Mm-hmm. So even if you give, Allah gives it back to you. Yeah. And it was interesting in these eyes is like, Ya amanu anfiqu from what we have given you. Mm-hmm. It didn't just come to you. You didn't earn it by yourself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mimma razaqnakum, from we have provided you. Right, the wealth mm. belongs to Allah, so it's not strange that we're shy, yeah. we're stingy with something that doesn't belong to us. Subhanallah. And sometimes, and if you look at it in that way, it's you're not really. I mean, it's nothing. Uh, what do you call it? Praiseworthy, because you're just the means. Allah has put you as the means to give to other people, right? And He could use anybody else to do the same work. I'll, I'll be honest. It's it's a it's a conversation that I still struggle with now i think a lot of people think about it in like a really romantic way where it's like mm-hmm. oh they're they're both on the same page but it's hard to give the way that that we do mm-hmm. and that's the truth of it it's it's hard to give away the money that you love the way that you work hard for and you're sometimes you're, you're like our savings will go for a couple of months and then that's it we won't have it anymore everything will be gone oh my god every single thing will be gone for the sake of allah yeah. um and so i we've been married for six years now mm-hmm. we don't have savings Wow, and I, t- I think I mentioned you earlier. Like we have okay, and this 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 winter we're like we're gonna save something. <laughs> Khalas is gone. It does not. The money does not stay with us, but it gets sent forth. Yeah. To the akhirah, right? A lot of people, like w- like we love the money, and yes, we trust Allah, mm-hmm. but do we trust Allah with our wealth, for al- the promise of Allah that He will, He will give it back to us. If you want your money to grow, give it. Everybody wants their money to grow. And that's how you grow your money. It's uh, How do you explain this to someone that, you know, give your money and it's going to come back to you. You don't know how, you don't know when, but give it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's how it will grow. How do you explain that to someone? Only people who have done it can explain it, can understand that. I used to be really scared when I used to give sadaqah the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but with any kind of ibadah, when, when in the beginning it's hard, but you keep doing it and now money doesn't mean anything to me. Right? I... Um, even like like a lot of my close friends and my, my my mother and my mother-in-law they don't agree with what we do. They're like, why don't you buy a house? Why don't you put something forth for yourself? Make an investment, right? But the the true investment is an investment with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, right? Um, and I think one of the things that has enabled me to uh, live this life is Allah has, Subhanahu wa Taala has blessed me with contentment. Mm. And I'm okay with the simple things. Mm-hmm. Before minimalism was trendy. Yeah, before minimalism was cool. Because <laughs> yeah. now it's like, it's, it, it looks nice to look broke. Yeah, you know <laughs> exactly. What I, mean? I think because money was so tight, I still struggle with... Ha- Scarcity, afraid. Of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not having enough. But with that fear, I'm trying to still give. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something beautiful about giving in fear, though. Yeah, I, I, and I'll be real with you because and I, I think that's uh, I remember a scholar saying it's easy to give when you have a lot and you don't need that money because for example if you have a million dollars and what's what's a hundred dollars what's a thousand dollars it's not much it doesn't do it right it doesn't scar you but when you all you have is like this amount of savings and you give you're constantly giving away what you yeah. have yeah that's hard because 
it's you're you're kind of relying on it yeah. and and you love that money you don't want it to go yeah and, uh, that's, and that's, that's when it means just, something though mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. that's when it has meaning mm-hmm. um like when you give your last dollar your last chicken wing like but i think people think that oh because they have so much money they, they have give. Uh, they have a, a bucket of yeah them. so it's and like so they can they're just, just giving from like but that's not the case it's, you guys are giving to something that you're going zero to and then exactly Allah is giving. Yeah. that's in, that's so that's so even incredible. with like uh the muslim collection is a business that we have right yeah. like all of it is for it's a hundred percent like non-profit right all mm-hmm. of the proceeds go and the way the reason why we're able to do that is because my husband what my husband earns that's that's enough for us mm-hmm. we don't need excess mm-hmm. right although uh, having excess could mean you know having a better life a nice car exactly mm-hmm. or a nicer house owning a home for example right mm-hmm. um but it's just like this rat wheel this dunya you when yeah. is it going to be enough shazina's husband was always a businessman and always an entrepreneur shazina wasn't so much an entrepreneur like that but he inspired that in her so she started a, a Muslim women's modest clothing called the Muslim Collections. Instead of using that revenue for you know herself and her children, her livelihood, all of the revenue that comes in goes to charity. It's interesting because now Muslim Collections is is a a business that you have one of one of your uh, businesses yeah. that you're doing just for Sadaqah. Yeah. Subhanallah, yeah. that's incredible. So I, I like whoever I just, like I, I try to think of it like Inshallah. Uh, the customers that support us, they also get the reward because wow. when you purchase the abaya or the thobe or whatever, right, you're providing, you know, a shelter for a woman who has escaped from abuse wow. or you're helping someone who's, uh, you know, in a disabled, uh, a, a disabled person uh, back. We send a lot of money back home and like to yeah. different countries where people with disabilities, they have like no resources, right? Or and you're, you're, you're giving a clean cup of water. Yeah. So... I hope that our customers also get the reward for it. Oh my gosh, so your business is helping others give sadaqah and it's something, it's like already, wow. <laughs> it's just, wow, that's incredible. I, I think that's something that he inspired in me because I'm, I'm not a risk taker. I, I, I struggle with that. Um, but yeah, I, there's a problem and there's you could, you could be that solution, right? Why not you, right? If you don't do it, someone else will do it. And I think the, one of the coolest things I read about like starting a business of your own is like, go to the grocery store and how many bread companies do you see? Do we really need this many different white bread? Nah. But there's so many different companies offering white bread, brown bread, whatever, right? And they're all doing their thing. So you, your place is needed in that in this business game. Yes, there might be other competition, whatever, but you can also be one of those people. Entrepreneurship is hard. It's even more hard when you're a black Muslim woman. It's even more hard when you also are suffering from imposter syndrome. You think you can't, why are you doing this? How successful can you really be? There's nobody out there that looks like you doing it. So what's your success rate look like? And you have all these negative thoughts and you just think, okay, I can't do it. And you don't even, you think and you don't even start. You don't even, you're not even out of it. You can't even fathom the idea of doing it. Until one day you have the, 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 the want to do it. Like, I'm just going to do it anyways. Who cares? It's like that kind of idea. Like, who cares if there's 100 million people doing the same thing? Who cares if there's nobody that looks like me doing it? I'm going to do it because I don't see it and I want it. And I want, there to be, I want there to be more stories. I want there to be more digital storytelling startups like the Digital Sisterhood because we're absent in those spaces. So why not me, right? But it's hard. You know, you have this, you're having this internal dialogue with yourself and it's really difficult. Starting a startup feels a lot like being in the dark in a tunnel and you don't know where the heck you're going. You have no idea where you're going. You're wondering why you're in this tunnel, which direction you're going, and you're worried you're going to fall off a cliff. Entrepreneurship feels a lot like that, right? But you're taking the risk 
and you're finding some mustard seed of belief that you can do it. It's hard, bro. Like when digital sisterhood, when I started to think about doing a startup in digital storytelling, um, mainly because I was frustrated with the lack of representation of Muslim women in general, but also women and Muslim women of color. I was like, am I the right person for the job? That's the, that was the first thing I thought. Could I do that? Could I assemble a startup? Could I start telling the stories that I think, you know, need to be heard? And am I the right candidate for the job? And I just, I just, it was a back and forth. But then I think the thing that pushed me over and said, okay, you know what, you're going to do it and you're going to do it anyways is because, bro, like, <laughs> and there's this famous, I think it's in my Angela quote, and I could be wrong, where she said, if you or no, is I think it might have been Toni Morrison, but girl, I'd be confusing people. But basically she said that if you don't see the things, the kind of stories you want to see, then create those stories, right? And it's just simple. There's no, are you the right candidate? Do you have the qualifications? Are you the right person? Do you have the, you, do you have the revenue, the, um, the support? It's just, just do it. <laughs> and, and that was my mentality. Who cares? I'm gonna just do it. And I'm gonna try my best. And I have one life to live and I, let's make it meaningful. And, and if I want to live an extraordinary life, I got to do extraordinary things. It's just simple as that. And so I sought out to find women, Muslim women that were doing extraordinary things and wanted to live extraordinary. So, and, and that's how it really worked out. It was a collaborative thing with, a, with incredible women that were extremely talented. And now we're just out here doing a thing. Um, what, what, what will come of it? I don't know. We go find out. <laughs> you, me, the listeners, the world, we all go find out. But just know that this is this is not just for like me or the team. This is for all of us. And um I wanna do it well. So I asked Shazina, like, what is a dream of yours? What is something you hope to do that's bigger than life? You know, like what is that? What does that look like? What is it? Um and what she told me was pretty incredible. Have a listen. Um, I want to, I want to be able to do something with the Quran that I've memorized. Um, I feel like that's kind of, I, I kind of, right now I'm just like rev revising whatever, but I feel like I'm doing it for myself. Um, I want to be able to, uh, perhaps do it in a bigger scale, whether, um, cause I, cause I, I now, now that I have kids, I'm, I'm trying to teach my kid, my own kids Quran. Right. And it's not the easiest things to find, like, especially cause you're their mom. And sometimes mm -hmm. like, I don't want to do it. Right. Or mm -hmm. like one of the things that I would do with my daughter. So she's four, she's five now. She just turned five. Um, and I started teaching her Surah Baqarah when she was three. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because yeah. wow. usually people start from Surah Al-Nas, right? And they yeah. work through it. I'm like, okay, you know what? If she can do a Baqarah, she could probably remember the whole Quran. Wow. So why not just start from there? Yeah. Right? Because um, it's kind of hard because there's a lot of Mutashabihat or yeah. um, Mutashabihat ayahs. So we started from there when she was three. And the way I would do it was through play. Um, so whenever she'd be playing, I'd be reciting constantly, wow. just repeating the ayah again and again and again. Eventually, one time she started to say it back to me. You know, wow. you know, subhanAllah, um, Intimacy Spider, right? Yes. The, da, 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 da. Yeah. And then you do your hand, the movements, yeah. right? And then yeah. up the water, spout. Yeah. How, how come these two-year-old, three-year-olds can say spout? That's a Right? <laughs> like, what does spout even mean? Even twinkle, twinkle, little. Like, even the... the these, like, kind of complicated yeah, words, words. And I'm just yeah. like, if they can say that... Maybe she could say right? So I would do the actions, and I kind of open my hands like kitab is a book. And that's how we make it into a play, into a game. 
and, um, and you're doing repetition and repetition again and again but also in a fun way play-based learning yes. right so i think there's a lack of that in the islamic yeah. um schools and also especially with like hips because mm-hmm. we kind of just expect them to sit on their bums and like memorize when yeah. they're especially when they're a little the old-fashioned way the old-fashioned way right mm-hmm. um i think we kind of need to move away from that because montessori education is like a trendy thing now yeah, especially. Well, very because they use plays mm-hmm. and they use texture no, but why not use that towards hips and quran right that's an, that's an incredible that's that you're right and i've seen the results of that with my um, with my daughter mm-hmm. um and she's she's finished the first robot now um, so it, it's it's not easy. I'm, I'm making maybe I'm romanticizing it again, but it's like <laughs> it's required a lot of like me rep- repeating it, but also like hands on, mm-hmm. right? And making it fun. Um, for example, we might pass a ball to each other every time we read the ayah. We don't do that in, in the masjid, no, right? No, we don't. Um, so that's one of that's one of my dreams. That, that would I had. be du- for you to open a preschool, and it was like a mon- Islamic Quran school monastery five. I don't know what I would call I, it. I don't know what you would call it, but that would be in. You know how like um in those schools they have like the sand. I feel like there's a need for it, and oh, it hasn't yeah. been done before. It's like an outlandish idea because people think, oh, your daughter's jumping and you're you're playing with her and you're teaching her the, the but, surah. But the thing is, is that like the research proved that. Mm. You know, research proves that, that that kind of learning yeah. evolves, and so it, it you would be filling a gap, yeah, a massive gap in yeah. learning. Uh, Quranic learning, yeah. um, and uh, and everyone learns differently. Yes, and and perhaps they could learn faster and yeah. efficiently if we were to explore different ways of learning. Yeah, that's a, I, that's a dope dream, <laughs> and I it's and a I, dream. I hope that if I ever if we if uh, TDS ever becomes a multi-billionaire company, I'm gonna invest in that. Inshallah, <laughs> you will. That, that's an intense idea. Well, like yeah. what? I would love that. Okay, okay, okay. So I'll, I'll send you. Mona's uh, been listening and she's implementing. <laughs> so um, so um, for the listeners, Mona just said. Okay, okay. So Mona, Mona just said um, it, it, either we have to wire the money while we don't got it right now. Okay, so inshallah, by the end of the podcast, I'm gonna wire you money. Um, no, the team we're gonna miss a few meals, but that's okay. Um, inshallah, <laughs> inshallah, no, but that's actually incredible. Yeah. What do you want to say? to people that are that might be struggling financially in general mm. or people who want to do a business but they don't have it or like people who just given up and they're at a at a place where they just don't feel like um they like they can and they don't have anywhere to start and they don't have anything and like mm. what can you inspire in them that is that is truthful and straightforward like what can you say to those people that just that want to be in your position yeah and want to but just need that kind of inspiration too so life is full of seasons right there are those seasons when it's dry and it's dull and it's difficult but there's an Allah will test us right with our money with our health right so many different things will be tested with and there's the down and then there's also inshallah the up but you got to do something to get back to that up mm-hmm. right um so if if your if your goal is to open a business or whatever it is you got to you got to work hard to open your business you got to put your like work <laughs> you got to work hard you got to put the work in um do the research whatever is required of you and then give sadaqah to in, in hopes that it will grow um but yeah it's it's if it's if it's a, if it's a low it's not gonna stay low because we all go through the lows we all go through the struggles struggles right but inshallah one day it will be bright again.
يجعلون أصابئهم في آدانهم من السوائق هدر الموت والله مهيت بالكافرين That was Shazina's beautiful little girl reading Surah Baqarah. Allahumma barik. This episode is brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios. Shout out to our producer, executive senior producer from all the way to Minneapolis, Munashir Umar. I feel like I feel this intense pressure to come up with like new ways to say Munna's name because if I'm going to have to say it every week, it needs to sound cool. So that's how we're going. Munashir Umar. Umar. Okay, anyways. <laughs> so um, thank you, Munna. Jazakallah khair. You are just, we're nine episodes deep and you're just, you're just that girl. You're that girl. Um, I also like to thank the sponsors for sponsoring this episode. Also, lastly, I want to say that we also have a Patreon membership that's officially out on Monday. Um, I know that, you know, everyone's feeding for that extra content, that extra audio that I didn't get to, um, that wasn't able to be put on on uh, the episodes and the footages and the image, ugh, just so much stuff that, you know, we didn't, we're, we don't have the opportunity to give, to put out. But Alhamdulillah, we have the Patreon membership. And if you're interested in, in seeing more and listening more, um, definitely become a member. And yeah, I'll catch you all every Friday. I'm in your ear, in your speaker, again, telling you a good story. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.